0: Totally stoked to hear my brother Phil busting myths and taking names today on Professor Buzzkill.
1: Well, Buzzkillers, it's October, 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 and there's a big election coming up in these United States. And of course, when anything is important in these United States, you ask me to bring on... The master of disaster, as this election might be, uh, Dr. Phil Nash from Penn state. Who's here to give us a show on what we call October surprises. Thanks for coming on the show, professor.
0: It's my pleasure. Yes. October
1: surprises, plural. Plural, yes. And I say master of disaster because, you know, you're our expert on World War II. You're our expert on all sort, a lot of things that go very wrong in history, including a lot of things that go right, like the, the shows you do on, on, on diplomatic history and female ambassadors. But I, you, we, you and I had talked about a show on, on October Surprise, but then – you were, you were explaining to me, you know, trying to get me up to date. And, well, no, there are actually a lot of them, or maybe not a lot of them, but there are a few in the modern period. So it's really October surprises.
0: Sure. And and I'm going to just to sort of set the terms here, I'm going to use October surprises in the broadest possible sense. Right. Uh, so, okay. so broad, so broad that some people might object. So, and by, by this, yeah. I mean, um, interesting developments late in presidential campaigns, Yep. Uh, last minute turnarounds for one campaign or another, or missteps. Um, in addition to sort of classic, what I might call classic October surprises, you know, a late move by a campaign, maybe even one that's unethical or illegal, or in one case, as we'll see, possibly treasonous, um, right, Yeah. In, 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 that are intended to win or close the, uh, close the gap or stop the opponent's momentum, etc. And so. In case I forget to mention this later on, I should also note that the impact of an October surprise in a particular case is often difficult, if not impossible, to determine.
1: Right. Okay. So the the classic October surprise, you know, is the, kind of has a campaign or a candidate sort of rubbing their hands together in glee saying, ha ah, ha ha, we've got them now. We're going to do this and it's going to either pull ourselves out of the fire or it's going to guarantee the the election for us. Right.
0: Or yes, sort of. Sort of seal the deal,
1: right? In the broader sense, it's sort of as you say, last minute turnarounds,
0: right? Or or, or last last minute curve balls. Well, why is it so
1: topical now, though?
0: Right. Yeah, that's a real good question. I'm not sure exactly. It is definitely a thing. Has become a thing in recent campaigns. Both. Yeah. For, yeah. Uh, sorry. In recent decades, both for campaigns. And for supporters on either side,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, in other words, you, one side might ask, so what what can we do at the last minute to turn this around if we are losing? What can we do at this last minute to help seal the deal if we're ahead? And, and of course, the flip side of that is and, and maybe even, even more prominent or more strongly um, felt is the worry. Uh, the concern that the other side, you know, what what have they been holding back that they're going to unleash at the last minute? What do they have up their sleeve that they're going to jam oh, us with? Yeah, just yeah, just yeah. when we right, just as we're becoming comfortable and complacent, what are they going to do? And so there's so there's this. Um, it, it's both a constant hope and fear, but I would say especially the fear, and I think that's why. You know, and I, I don't know. Maybe it's partly because of the media. Maybe it's partly because of the nature of, of, of modern campaigns, mm-hmm. especially in, in, in an age of, of social media, you know, something going viral that you can't control, right? In other words, you try to micromanage your campaign and you can't. And so that makes you even more paranoid. And I, I think those are some of the reasons, maybe, why it's been more of a concern in recent decades than, say, in an in earlier period in political history.
1: Do we have a handle on where the term where the term October surprise actually comes from
0: yeah, I think we do uh, consensus seems to be that it comes from Ronald Reagan's uh, 1980 campaign manager um, guy by the name of William mm-hmm. C- William Casey who would go on to be uh, Reagan's CIA director and sort of very deep in the iran-Contra scandal but in 1980 keep in mind that 1980 Reagan's running against the incumbent Jimmy Carter we're in the middle of this right. long, Iran hostage crisis, right? These uh, U.S. hostages have been taken by the revolutionary Iranian regime in Tehran in November 1979 and through 1980. This is what's Carter's main concern and he's trying to solve the problem and can't. And the Reagan campaign was terrified that Carter would win the hostages release at the last minute and eke out a victory. Right, okay, okay. So, and by the way, there were later, and I think especially in the early 90s, there were accusations that what had happened in 1980 was in October surprised by the Reagan people. In other words, that the Reagan administration had somehow secretly conspired with the Iranians to keep the hostages held as hostages until after Reagan's victory. Ah, that, they actually, I think Congress did at least once, they investigated this and they didn't find any evidence for this. Um, and this is a right. classic case where just because it works out for Reagan doesn't mean that Reagan you know, <laughs> and his people made it happen. Right, right. Um, it seems more likely that the Iranians just really, really hated Jimmy Carter and they wanted to stick it to him. And you see this in the timing of the release, um, maybe some um, listeners will recall that Iran released the hostages, uh, I believe, it was maybe an hour or just very little time after Reagan was inaugurated on January 20th, 1981. Well, and in fact,
1: Jimmy Carter was sent, Jimmy Carter went to the, to uh, go pick them up, if I remember correctly. In other words, he wasn't at Reagan's
0: inauguration. He was actually... Right. There. Yeah. He was still involved. Uh, yeah. And I think I'm at the I'm pretty sure that Car- yeah. Right. And I think Carter also long afterwards claimed that basically had the hostages been released, uh, he felt like he would have won, which, of course, you know, is the kind of thing he, someone like that would say. We don't know if that's true, but it is certainly true that the Iranians, you know, decided to sort of give give the knife a twist <laughs> to Jimmy yeah. Carter yeah. by waiting until right after Reagan becomes president, then releasing them so that Carter couldn't take credit for it.
1: But especially if we think of this, this October surprise is in the broadest sense, they do go back a while. So where do we, where do we want to start in terms yeah, that's of a, analyzing? That's a, that's
0: it? A, yeah, that's a good question. And I was sort of racking my brain. And I think looking back, for example, into the 19th century, Yeah. Not, I mean, I could be missing something, but nothing really comes to mind. I'm unaware of any, partly because I think we lack the information. We certainly lack the polling. Right. right and so right, i think right, it's right. harder to get a sense of who's up who's down in october and so we don't i don't think we know enough to judge in most of those cases you know did, did somebody turn it around or did somebody fumble at the goal line in the 19th century in an october of in october of an election year i, I just i mean maybe buzzkillers can sort of um can <laughs> clarify for mm-hmm. me what i'm missing here but something that's always struck me and, and not just me is and not and this is in the broadest sense um, of, of October surprises, and maybe not, they're not, I mean, there's there's no surprise here, but sort of uh, uh, the, uh, the subheading of Octobers and War and Peace. Right, I've always right. been struck by the fact that three times in the 20th century, which is a lot for one century, presidents have won re-election in part by promising peace, only then to take us to war within the next six months after huh. being re-elected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and let me just run through these real fast. I mean, one is Woodrow Wilson... Being uh, seeking re-election in 1916, the actual—I don't know if he actually said this—but this was one of the official slogans of his campaign: "Was quote, he kept us out of war," unquote. Yeah, you—in fact, a- in,
1: in the outline—is October, October 1916. He right. kept us out of war. Yet April
0: 1917. <laughs> yeah, and then he takes this. No, now by the way, this is not. This is not. So I'm not. I'm making this claim that these are all sort of evil presidents who are sort of lying oh, yeah, through their yeah. teeth. But it, it is sort of striking that, you know, you, you, sit, you, you run on a peace platform. And by the way, there were people like, well, Teddy Roosevelt at the time who were arguing we should enter the war. And Wilson saying, no, even though we've been provoked, we need to stay out of the war. And then by April 1917, after he's reelected, he, he takes us into war. Similarly, Franklin D. Roosevelt running for his third term in 1940 said famously in Boston at the end of October 1940, and I'm quoting, your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars, end quote. His opponent, mm-hmm. the Republican Wendell Wilkie, responded, and I'm also quoting, that hypocritical son of a bitch, this is going to beat me, <laughs> <laughs> end quote. <laughs> and in a way it did kind of, because, you know, one of the, one of the criti- I mean, so far as we can tell, one of the criticisms of FDR is that he was, that he was lying about, Either his intentions or about or about the risks, and so partly to sort of put those aside, he makes this claim about you know your boys are not going to be sent. The full context is you know we're going to build up our defenses, but we're going to defend the United States. Your boys are not going to be sent overseas.
1: Right, right, and, right, right, you know, right. I
0: right. mean, I was he wasn't lying, right? He couldn't predict the future, but you know he was he was he was he was, he was putting an, an awfully happy face on the risks that the United States faced <laughs> circa nineteen forty forty one and then also in
1: well wait what before before we go to the, the to lbj was there any sense that wilkie had any kind of chance where people because 1940 would have been the third election right. for FDR? was it was yeah it, people were saying eh, was it a close race in other words
0: no i mean it, it was the closest of the three roosevelt had been in up until that point yeah uh, 32 and 36 were blowouts compared to this so yeah the the uh the margin was certainly narrowed, but I don't think at any point FDR was really in any danger of losing that election. Right. So, yes, okay. and thank you for that. I mean, it's always always a key to keep in mind here, right? I mean, just because Wilkie says, this is going to beat me, that doesn't mean that actually beat him, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he had reason to be upset. And, you know, part of the thing is 1940 did not become a referendum on intervention versus isolationism because Wilkie himself was an an internationalist you know he he, for example supported aid to Britain as well and so that sort of took that issue off the table yeah okay fast forward to 1964 in October Lyndon Johnson's not running for re-election of course because he was an accidental president he's running for election in his own right And, you know, um, war clouds are gathering over Vietnam. And he said, and I'm quoting, your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars, unquote. (laughs) It's almost verbatim, almost verbatim what FDR said. And, of course, in March 1965, he then formally Americanizes the war in Vietnam. So there is no surprise here, quote unquote. In fact, quite the contrary. You could argue this is sort of standard good politics. You do what's necessary to get reelected.
1: Yeah. and, And people know that in the world situation, these wars are going on. Correct. You know Vietnam
0: wasn't unknown to people in 1964. Right. Exactly. This is a couple months after the Tonkin Gulf incident yeah. for example. Um you know it's good politics even if it's dishonest. I think it's particularly dishonest in LBJ's case. Right. But remember you know in a non-parliamentary system particularly presidents are freed up after re-election. Especially yeah. Yeah. once you know um, especially these days with with the with the term limit right once you're re-elected your second your next term is your last term. You are conceivably freed up, especially in the context of foreign relations, especially where we have, for example, this this tradition of congressional deference, for for better and worse, and in my view, usually for worse. This congressional deference on issues of war and peace, presidents are much freer to sort of do what they want, even take some risks that might get us into war. I mean, look at FDR, right? Once he's reelected, November 1940, then he's free to pursue land lease uh, to to Great Britain. Yeah, right yeah. and then that's what sort of helps get us much more involved in things in Europe and risks war with the Germans.
1: okay so that's sort of Octobers and war and peace. What about these other things these last minute turnarounds as you call them right the last minute
0: turnarounds so here I think this this is the the one that that, that, that easily jump jumps in, into one's head and that is 1948 the classic right the Dewey defeats Truman
1: yeah <laughs> um
0: and you know uh, uh, here's the obligatory reference in this episode we should do a whole show on this uh 1980 uh, 1948 um truman once again like lbj he's an accidental president he's running on his own for the first time he had been politically written off for dead uh one of the reasons we, this, this um, election is so fascinating is that there's actually a book on this. It's a pretty good book called The Last Campaign. And, and the author argues that this is the last time American voters had a truly wide ideological spectrum to choose from, partly because the Cold oh, okay. War hasn't, hasn't sunk in yet. For example, you have everything from the Strom Thurmond Dixiecrats on the right. You have the Republican Tom Dewey. You've got Truman, sort of the moderate Democrat. And then you've got Henry Wall- Wallace running as a, as a well, a four, fourth party candidate. And the problem for Truman is that the Dixiecrats and the Wallaceites are both siphoning votes away from him. Uh-huh. Truman was doing very poorly in the poll- polls. Many people assumed that Dewey, including Dewey himself, that he had the election all wrapped up. Uh, it's amazing. It's not just the famous "Dewey defeats uh, Truman" headline of that of the Chicago Tribune, I believe. But the cover of Life magazine in late October actually showed, I believe it was um, Dewey and his wife, and the caption on the cover of the magazine said, the next president of the United States. Wait, you mean this is October? October of 1948. <laughs> this was, a cup, I believe, a couple of weeks before the election. Yeah. Talk about journalistic no-nos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you are you are asking to be humiliated if you do that sort of thing. Yeah, the next president of the United States. You know, and there there was reasons for confidence uh, among Dewey supporters. He was the, this is about what 13 in, 13 years into modern polling including the Gallup poll, all the polls had Dewey up between 5 to 15 points and that I don't know what the practice was at the time, but the, the I think the Roper poll and the Gallup poll, they both stopped polling at least a week or two before the election. Mm -hmm. Gallup stopped one week before the election. They stopped sampling on October 25th, and the election was November 2nd. And so what that means is they, they missed a late break toward Truman among undecideds. Right, and right, okay. This may sound familiar to some listeners. This is sort of what happened in 2016 when the national polls were correct. By the way, the idea that, quote-unquote, the polls were wrong in 2016, that's not true. Yeah,
1: yeah. The, national- uh, yeah. The,
0: the nationwide polls were right on the money. They had, and by the way, remember, they don't poll electoral college votes. They poll popular votes. And Clinton was up a few points in the popular vote, and that's what that's what happened. What the, what the polls missed were some late... Uh, breaking votes for Trump, in other words, undecided people who broke for Trump, in individual states. Right, right,
1: right. And we um, should remind it, Buzzkillers to listen to the show recently about where you explain how, why all this is important in the
0: Electoral College itself. Right, right, with the Electoral College. So Truman ended up winning by about four and a half points. So uh, obviously, right. um, a lot of people broke for him. You know, there's a lot going on here. Truman had a very effective uh, sort of... His so-called whistle-stop campaign, right, where he tirelessly... It's amazing. You know, he was like 64 years old, and he was just moving around the country on his train, giving speech after speech. I think he, he I think he reached, in person, I mean, like 3 million people giving spe- speeches. What? 3 million? Wow. Yeah, yeah. No, he and his... It's pretty amazing, the miles and the speeches that he racked up. And he basically... Put the so-called do nothing Congress on blast. He yeah. and, and tied De- and tied Dewey to that do do nothing Congress. He reassembled what historians call the New Deal coalition. Right, all the sort of the pieces of the of the electorate that Roosevelt had put together. It, it's the coalition's frayed a bit, but Truman manages to put it back together. Yeah, and and, and on and on the other side, Dewey was was. There's a classic case of Dewey um, playing not to lose. Um, right.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, at the urging of all his advisors, he played it super safe. He e- issued banal statements like, "And I'm quoting, you know that your future lies ahead of you." Yeah. Right. Which I don't know if that's the most banal presidential announcement ever, but it's got to be up there.
1: Doesn't doesn't exactly get the blood rushing through. you? No,
0: not really. You know, and he he basically I mean, you know, in a way, someone like Eisenhower in 52 is going to do this successfully. Right. In other words, play the sort of nonpartisan leader. Uh, Dewey did not attack Truman or respond to Truman's attacks. And so he ended up losing. And yeah. you know the Dewey defeats Truman, Dewey defeats Truman headline that, that Truman so gleefully held up after his victory was declared, um, turned out to be um, quite wrong. It's one of the most one of the most famous political photographs in American history, by the way.
1: Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll put that on the the, the, the blog post, obviously, uh, because that that is it is it is very surprising what, what happened.
0: Yeah, it is, it is. Uh, and by the way, that apparently that newspaper had cranked out something like one hundred and fifty thousand copies wow. with that headline wow. on Wow. Yeah yeah oops (laughs) uh but but before we move on here's a fun fact truman i looked into this truman won partly because he took ohio and illinois and california three big states each he took by less than one point yeah and i wonder if this sounds like any other recent elections (laughs) where the winner wins three states barely and that puts them over uh it gets better had dewey won those three dewey would have been elected president if he had won any two of those and this is partly because the dixiecrat candidate Strom thurmond took something like 39 electoral votes in the deep south uh-huh. and so if dewey had taken any two of those three states ohio illinois california the election would have been thrown to the house of representatives wow because no one would have had a majority in electoral college awesome what ifs? yeah
1: yeah and of course that hasn't happened in living memory so well it hasn't happened in the no. 20th century so we don't know Uh, what it's like correct well so that's a sort of Mm -hmm. the 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 last minute turnarounds are also kind of media mistakes campaigning mistakes you know easing up too soon mistakes what about actual campaign screw-ups
0: relatively rare the the main one that comes to my mind is in the context of presidential debates and of course presidential debates are a great a great sort of example of the October surprise potential, right? Both, both in terms of the, the hope and fear theme I'm trying to maintain here. Right. Yeah. If you're losing. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, maybe if, if, if you can like kick the opponent's butt in this debate, maybe that'll turn things around or maybe that'll stop the bleeding or whatever. And, and vice versa. So uh, debates. And remember, we only I think a lot of people need to be reminded of this. We do not have presidential debates of any type until 1960. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, In case there's any confusion, Lincoln-Douglas, that was 1858. That was for the Illinois Senate race. Mm -hmm. That was not for president in 1860. We do not have a presidential debate until 1960, and so we don't have any pre-television debates. Debates were always televised. Uh, But that only happens in 1960. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: people, people tend to think, I think, the 1858 debates were presidential because it's one of the things that makes Lincoln a sort of national figure or more of a national figure. Absolutely. Than he but it wasn't definitely wasn't, you know, the League of Women Voters didn't come up to the, the two candidates in 1860 <laughs> and say, hey, do you want to?
0: No, no. And there was no commission on presidential debates.
1: <laughs> and I say League of Women Voters is because I'm showing my age. Those were the folks who organized the debates in the, right. uh, in the right. 70s and in the 80s.
0: Oh, and and I was gonna say, and and you know, people could be easily confused because Lincoln does run against Douglas in the eighteen sixty presidential campaign. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just that they, it's just that they don't debate each other.
1: Okay, so so presidential debates often cause this hope and fear, as you say, but that doesn't really necessarily happen in in nineteen sixty. When does the when does the first sort of campaign screw up coming out right. of a debate uh, happen?
0: It it may still be the biggest or maybe the most important screw up in a debate. Ever, 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 since 1960. And that's in 1976. I, I would right. not say 70. I would not say 76 deserves its own show. <laughs> no, 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 no disrespect. But this is sort of the, the nightmare is, is that you, a particular candidate will put his or her foot in their mouth and, and maybe not immediately realize it. And that can cost the campaign. And what happens in, this is actually, I believe late September technically, but this mm-hmm. is a debate between, Gerald Ford, who's the incumbent, right? He, he, he filled in for Nixon when Nixon resigned, and he's running against the challenger, the Democrat, Jimmy Carter. And in this debate, Gerald Ford said, and I'm quoting, there is no Soviet domination of Eastern Europe, and there never will be under the Ford administration. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty clear that what he meant to say is that we don't accept or recognize Soviet domination of Eastern Europe. But he didn't in, in, immediately realize his gaffe, and he sort of stuck to it during the debate. And it took a little bit, but after that, it, it sort of—I mean, t- today it definitely would have gone viral immediately. Yeah, <laughs> back then it took a little longer. It. Well, I even think Jimmy gaffe. Carter
1: smiled or smirked off to the side when when he was saying that, right. and, and that act that was actually shown on television.
0: Right, and 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 Carter immediately pounced on the statement too during the debate. Yeah, but uh, but I think yeah. it, you know. Um, the the gap sort of had legs in the days after that it may have helped stop ford's momentum because he was way behind earlier in the campaign and Mm -hmm. closed the gap but you know that alone didn't defeat him you know it's easy to exaggerate the importance of something like this you know there were there were still things like watergate yeah which was still pretty that that was still hanging over the republicans heads we had a horrible economy circa 1976 but I would also point out, it's sort of um, a little bit off topic, but note, I would say, if you look at 76, despite what I just said, it's a sign of the conservative times. Even with Watergate and a bad economy, and a conservative Democrat, and that's what Jimmy Carter was. Yeah, was oh yeah, liberal, yeah, yeah. A conservative Democrat, they used to say the most conservative Democrat since Clo- Grover Cleveland, and that's probably correct. A conservative Democrat barely beat a Republican with all that baggage. And uh, to me, that's that that reflects how, you know, between 68 and 88, Carter is the only Democrat to win the presidency. Yeah. So it's like it's like the, you know, it's like the, uh, you know, 1932 to, to 60. I mean, this is this is we're entering a period of Republican dominance and and Carter is, is the outlier.
1: OK, so we have last minute turnarounds. We have campaign screw ups. But you mentioned the biggie uh, a minute ago or a few minutes ago, which is treason. There was a treasonous. Right october surprise or uh, yeah i use
0: that right i use the t word
1: yeah and which would this is obviously much more serious than anything else we're talking about
0: yeah and and, and by the way this to my mind if you were to ask me okay is is there a quote-unquote october surprise in the classic sense that maybe had a serious impact i would say this this is exhibit a and that this is 1968 mm-hmm. and you know, this is going to sound like product placement, but we did an entire show on yes, this. Yes, we did. We so did, yeah. I'm I've, folks can, can look that up in the in the Buzzkill archive. We, we go we go pretty deep on October 1968. But just let me summarize it real fast here. This is where LBJ has decided. Lyndon Johnson has decided not to run right famously in March. He's a, a casualty of Vietnam. Yeah, um, politically, that is uh, R- Richard Nixon is the Republican. He's running against Hubert Humphrey, the Democrat. And we now know um, indisputably that Nixon, as he put it, monkey wrenched the Vietnam peace talks. By the way, these are Vietnam peace talks that were showing progress in October 1968. Yeah. And, of course, the Democrats were eager to try and take advantage of that. Conceivably, they were trying to to set up their own October surprise because it was a very close campaign. And Humphrey was behind in closing the gap Mm -hmm. through September and uh, what Nixon, the Nixon camp does is they secretly reach out to the, the government of South Vietnam to blow up the talks. Right. The peace talks. And yeah. the peace talks. This is possibly decisive because had the Democrats been able to claim that either, you know, we've made serious progress or that, you know, peace is at hand. <laughs> keep, that, keep that phrase in mind for a moment down the road. Yeah. yeah, Uh, But this was possibly, this is possibly a decisive thing because if you look at how close the election was, it wasn't, it was one of the closest elections in American history. Uh, Nixon barely ekes out a victory. It's conceivable that an announcement about serious progress, by the way, it doesn't mean that a peace treaty would have been signed by date X, but it's possible that the uninterrupted progress toward peace would have pushed Humphrey over the top and this intervention by the Nixon people not Nixon directly he had was his representatives doing this behind the scenes possibly illegal we talked about this in the podcast we don't know for sure 100% but there are some laws that Nixon may have been violating possibly treasonous Uh, this conceivably lengthened the war and if it did lengthen the war that means that the Nixon campaign has the blood of additional Americans and Vietnamese on their hands. Which is about as serious as October surprises get. Leave aside the p- possible political impact. This is about as serious as October surprises get in the um, in the realm of, 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 of bad ethics. Yeah. yeah, And and like and like I said, we and we this is not speculation. There was a while we 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 sort of thought this might have happened. We now know we have all the documents that, that to demonstrate this, and I would say. If you're looking to go like what's what's an October surprise? That is an October surprise, right? That is a that is a secret last minute move by a campaign to disrupt the opponent in a possibly decisive way.
1: And and as you say, it's a, you know, as you said in the show we originally did on that, it's certainly unethical and maybe worse than Watergate. I mean, after all people yeah. died in that in yeah. that period. Yeah. Ex-
0: Exactly right. Yeah. Well, we we could probably have a a good discussion about how this compares to Watergate. You can make a really good case that this is worse. And yet I still I mean, I don't think this has sunk in yet. This is not. No, no. It probably never would never will. But this is not captured folks imagination the way Watergate has.
1: Right, 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 right. We're talking about quite a few elections, but how common really are
0: real October surprises that actually make a difference? Once again, I was racking my brain. Yeah. True October surprises that make a difference. I don't think there are actually that many. Right. I think uh, uh, to maintain my thread, I think that the hope and fear are disproportionate or or don't have, I'll put it this way, don't have a sufficient basis in historical reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Most campaign momentum... Is either started, sustained, slowed, or stopped the four S's by <laughs> bigger by bigger issues, trends, or combinations of issues and trends that aren't really subject to fundamental change by an October surprise. And I think if you look at some of the other things that might be discussed in a sort of a full, you know, <laughs> multi-part episode on October surprises, <laughs> much more much more common are attempts, sort of attempted October surprises or possible October surprises that sort of either fizzle or don't matter. So, for example, I mentioned pieces at hand. That's a reference to Henry Kissinger, the national security advisor uh, for for Nixon, in October 1972, just days before the election, declaring that peace is at hand, quote-unquote, in Vietnam. Nixon's running for re-election in 72. Yeah, Yeah, he's running for re-election in 72. And the, the, the peace talks have been going on between the Americans, the North Vietnamese, and the South Vietnamese for quite some time. And it was kind of, we were winding down our involvement, but the Nixon people really thought it was important to be able to say that, that peace is at hand. In right. In other words, um, you know, and it, even at the time, I think some people noticed this was sort of a transparent campaign ploy. Um, now it, it is kind of true that the peace was at hand in in some sense, but then once again, sort of a, a sort of a payback to Nixon in a way, the South, the South Vietnamese blew up this peace at that moment again, and they were able to do this short term partly because, ironically, they had leverage over the Nixon campaign because of 1968. Oh in yes, words, of course, if
1: they have that in the bag, right. it, it, You know, that's the the hand that they're holding there. And they can exactly. use it against
0: him. One of the problems with the 68 October surprise is that you've given an enormous lever to the other parties in your skullduggery, and that is Saigon. Uh, and so uh, now now uh, later on, when we, when we get the, 1970, the January 73 Paris Accords that end the war for the United States, and you know uh, that required the South Vietnamese to get on board, and Nixon did sort of play hardball to get that, but that was after the election. In the short term, Nixon didn't feel comfortable doing that. But my point here is that whatever Kissinger said didn't matter. Nixon was going to crush George McGovern in 1972, one way or another. That was true in the spring and summer as well. It's one of the, yeah. It's yeah, one of the ironies. Yeah. Watergate. Watergate itself was unnecessary. McGovern yeah. was already sort of self-destructing. But you know, one of the one of the ironies of, of Watergate is that Nixon, by this point, can't help himself. That he's he's so so obsessed with playing dirty that that he does it even when he doesn't need to.
1: It's almost as if he's he he wants to be self-destructive, but I don't want to get too psychobabble about. Well, yeah, yeah and, and many, and many, many
0: many many <laughs> observers have made that argument, right that it was almost sort of compulsive. But uh, obviously in a close race, an October surprise can play a role even if they seldom determine the outcome on their own. And in other words, you shouldn't view an October surprise as either all all, everything, all everything, or nothing, right? In other words, it's right. either it's decisive or it's completely irrelevant. October surprises can play a role, and we have to sort of be agnostic in some cases because we always, not very rarely can we determine 100%, you know, this outcome was a result of A, B, and C. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, in very recent history, maybe even not even history, look at 2016, where October surprises can come in bunches. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, sorry, you know, I'm laughing, but it's not funny, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's kind of sad in some ways, but, you know, in a very brief period of time, we had the infamous Access Hollywood tape in which uh, I'm you, – you tell me, I can't think of an analog where a presidential oh, candidate no. brags about having committed sexual assault, right? I'm pretty, pretty sure that's never happened. Immediately, I think within an hour, mitigated by – The result of of Russian interference in the election, which is to say simultaneous release of some of the WikiLeaks documents to sort of soften the blow of the access Hollywood tape. You know, the the holding back of some of those um, John Podesta emails, that is the the Russians and or some Republicans holding a uh, sort of a mini October surprise in reserve in case of emergency. Yeah, right. Yeah, they 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 held back on some information just in case something like Access Hollywood happened, which, you know, credit for them for being foresightful and sort of clever in that sense. And then followed by James Comey, perhaps the most important of all, announcing the reopening of the investigation of Hillary Clinton's emails, which had been settled. And then Comey informs Congress, oh, I'm, I'm looking at these other emails. And that made a big splash in the media. And we don't know for sure, once again, but this may have helped lead late deciders in other words people right. the undecided voters to break for trump which they clearly did and that's one of the reasons why some of the state polls missed trump's victory in places like pennsylvania and wisconsin and michigan is that apparently some of these undecideds a fair number of them broke for him at the last minute and so then maybe some of this october surprisey stuff may have influenced them we, we don't know for sure for sure but were these things determining all on their own yeah i do Doubt it, right? There's so much other fundamental stuff going on in the election that it's really tough to say that these that these were decisive.
1: Yeah, because you had a lot of Democrats who stayed home because they thought it was going to be a cakewalk. You had a lot of third party voters that might have voted Democrat. So, uh,
0: you know, uh, right? And remember, the Democrats are also doing what is very rare, which is trying to string together three presidential victories in a row. Yeah, that almost never
1: happens. You know,
0: almost never happens. Right. I mean, at a very basic level, after eight years of one party controlling the White House, it's really tough to tack on another four years. Yeah, it really is. It's really hard. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes October surprises are things that just happen. Mm hmm. You know, rather than something that is deliberately sprung by one side or another. You know, and obviously the Access Hollywood tape is is something that happened to the Trump campaign, no question. But I'm thinking here about something like 2008, right? Where, of course, technic technically, this is September. So once again, I'm using I'm using the lar the the, the long October definition. In September 2008, <laughs> you mean? This thing yes, I'm was, sorry. Yeah. So, yes, September 2008, when we have just to review, right, the collapse of Lehman Brothers and and the collapse of the broader economy and then the onset of the Great Recession, all of a sudden, the economy became, you know, it's usually the most important subject. Here, it really, really became the most important subject. And I I remember it it was clear at the time that this helped Obama and, you know, I remember his opponent, John McCain, essentially admitting that, that, you know, the economy is not my strong suit. Yeah. And... You know that would suggest that this was you know an important boost to the obama campaign but once again i mean was he gonna win anyway i mean obama was a great candidate once again bush fatigue was strong right this was after eight years of the george w bush administration Mm -hmm. once again mccain is trying to be the third republican presidency in a row that's really hard to do and you know also not to pile on but obama didn't pick sarah palin as, as his running
1: mate well yeah there's that yeah yeah, he didn't pick someone who could be so easily Yeah, well, we all know the Sarah right. Palin debacle, so
0: Right. But also and once again, even in fairness, even that I don't think was decisive. It didn't it didn't no. help the the McCain campaign, but it was one of many things that that, that went against him.
1: Well, so uh, I and I always ask this and we always talk about how, how we should end these things, wrap these things up. What is your buzzkill bottom line on October surprises? My my,
0: my buzzkill bottom line registered trademark? Yeah. Uh <laughs> Based on my incredibly unscientific analysis, uh, October surprises that make a difference or make a difference in a way that is obvious, I'm going to say those are pretty rare. Yeah. October surprises are... Maybe this is a bad analogy, but maybe October surprises are the black hole and then you look how things behave around them to to sort of um, determine their presence. I don't know. I don't want to carry that too far. But in other words, I, I think that October surprises are more about the hopes and fears and even paranoia that surround them than they are about the October surprises themselves.
1: Yeah, okay, all right, right. right. Actually, that seems to be the most significant thing about this,
0: yeah. Right, Um, because I think that's more important, I mean, more important than the impact of October Surprise X is how campaigns shape their behavior and worry and devote attention to Possible October surprises. So, for example, what what secret is my opponent sitting on that she's going to release October fifteenth? Right. That's something that keeps campaigns up at night. Yeah. Yeah. Or, 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 or should we, if we have something on our opponent, should we hold some of it back, Or, or we're with which timing should we release it in an effort to stick it to the opponent at the key moment? Right. Um. The, the, it's the hopes and fears of the, uh, you know about those things that are that are more likely to affect an outcome than than maybe the actual October surprise itself. Or to put it another way, the fundamentals, the obvious things like the economy, but also less obvious things like relative partisanship or in our, pay or in our period, um, negative partisanship, right? The fact that no matter what happens, you're going to vote against the other party. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's, that, that, that's been demonstrated by all the, all the political science research over and over again in recent years. Or things like enthusiasm or strength of candidate or the power of incumbency or like i said said a minute ago a party that's been in power for a while already and so it's more likely to lose those are far more important typically than any particular last minute misstep or last minute conspiracy or last minute surprise move by one candidate or one campaign or the other
1: yeah yeah it it is it is amazing there are so many so many things going on in a presidential campaign so many factors yet very often as with a lot of history people want to latch on to one answer an answer and something dramatic like an october surprise seems great so they latch on to that and that explains everything for them when in reality as we always say things are so much more
0: complicated right Right. and also and and part of the problem is it 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 puts analysts historians political scientists it puts them in sort of a weak position because they're forced to sort of rattle off this grocery list without being able to prioritize like what's the most important thing what's the less important thing you know when most in my view for example most campaign victories or losses are sort of over determined as the political scientists would say in other words you've got more than enough factors pointing in that direction and obviously in a super close election it's different but you know most elections aren't super close <laughs> close elections are, are relatively rare at least i mean looking at something like 1968 or 1960 i mean those are relatively rare um And so if if most elections aren't that close, then that would be an argument for for the idea that October surprises in the larger scheme of things just just aren't and cannot be that important, that that it's a list of fundamentals that are going to lock in one result or another. And the October surprises aren't going to matter.
1: Well, there you have it, Buzzkillers, just like so many of you are saying to us in the aftermath of Professor Nash's Electoral College episode he has spoken and he has explained this to us and in the buzzkill certainly in the buzzkill universe this is as close as it gets to scientific confirmation so again it just remains for me to say thank you very much for professor nash for coming on the show
0: you are very welcome in the future can i just end every episode by saying i have spoken can yes, i do that
1: let's do that yeah yeah that'll be the nash the the, the, the final credits of the nash episodes
0: another one of his oracular shows yeah that's right (laughs) i I always appreciate being on thanks for having me
1: and Buzzkillers out there we will talk to all of you next week